Yeah, it was supposed to be a quiet week in the NBA. The end of August, early September, NBA teams are kind of recovering from the last season. They, the draft is over, free agency over. Everyone's in Europe floating on a boat in the Mediterranean or something like that. We've got breaking news in the NBA. Ben Simmons telling the Philadelphia front office that he does not want to be a 76er anymore. The Philadelphia Inquirer's Keith Pompey reporting that Simmons does not plan on reporting to Sixers training camp, which is about four weeks away. The three-time All-Star reportedly telling the Sixers front office that he doesn't plan to return and he is done as a Sixer. The NBA never stops, man. We got Jerome Weitzman, my guy who uh, I used to work with at BR Mag, who's now at Fox Sports and has written the book on the Philadelphia 76ers, tanking to the top. I actually have two of these. Do you? <laughs> That's I see the two. That's good. You probably sent me a personal copy, and then like your publisher sent me a copy. I don't know. I might have bought ten copies. I don't know. But I ended up with two. The more out there, the better. That's that works for me. I don't care who they end up with. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstroh. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstroh. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstroh. That's Amin Al Hassan. Yaron, we've got another Sixers scandal controversy. Not quite the Colangelo thing, but we have a standoff, a stare down, a game of chicken. I mean, how do we call this? This this Ben Simmons is trying to pry his way out of Philadelphia, but also he has not much leverage here. And so what do, what do we call this? A stare down, a standoff? What is it? I believe the French call it a détente. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> So, Yaron, what's your read on the situation here? Uh, is this just posturing from both sides that uh, Daryl Morey is like, yo, we, we got training camp a month away. We got time to make a deal here. Let's calm everything down. Or is this really Ben Simmons um, really isn't going to report to camp? You really think that Ben Simmons in the wording and the, in the reporting from Keith Pompey of the Inquirer said – that he does not, Ben Simmons has informed the 76ers, he does not intend to show up to training camp and he wants out. So I think that's really going to come to that point. It's fine. I've been using the, the uh, phrase chicken, like it's a game of chicken. And I've thrown in like, and this, it all connects, right? The Portland Trailblazers and Damian Lillard. And it's just like a four-way, five-way game of chicken, really, with all of this, right? Like Ben Simmons wants to be traded, Daryl Morey wants to trade him, but he only wants to trade him for Damian Lillard. It seems like Portland Trailblazers don't want to trade Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard, it seems like wants to be traded, but doesn't want to ask to be traded. Um, what do we forget? And Ben Simmons refuses to show up for he's going to say he refuses to be there. So just like, who's going to break first? Um, I think, and making some calls, like my read on it is that Ben, the idea that Ben Simmons won't show up to camp, like that's what he believes now. I mean, that we've seen in many sports where guys say that and then, camp starts and suddenly that's no longer the case. I think now if you were to ask Ben Simmons, if you had him here, are you will you will really not show up to camp? I think he would say, yeah, I'm not showing up to camp. Um, they tried trading me last year. They, my coach threw me under the bus, my teammate, my star partner teammate threw me under the bus. Then today on Twitter claimed he wasn't throwing me under the bus while then saying, but some guys can't take criticism. I don't know who I'm talking about, but Hey, that guy, not me, but I don't know. Some guys <laughs> just can't take criticism. Um, but, but it's not me. I'm not talking about Ben. So it's just like, I kind of get where Ben is would be coming from if you're him here. Not to yeah. say that he isn't 
worthy of criticism on how he's played. Let's talk about these tweets here because <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot going on. It felt like at first Joel Embiid was sticking up for Ben Simmons, opening salvo, <laughs> yeah, right. saying, you know, uh, I don't know why the media always sticks my name in here. Don't make this about me. Like he says, uh, this morning, three hours ago, we're taping this on Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, I feel like you have to read them all together because it, it was a journey. <laughs> it was a roller coaster. So he's retweeting one of these aggregating sites, NBA Central, saying the Sixers reportedly had to pick between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But we need to point out that this site has a track record of uh, when aggregating, either leaving out key context to outright like misconstruing wholly uh you know what what was actually said so in this case because i I just did uh my radio show with zach harper the the site said the sixers reportedly had to pick between joel Embiid and ben simmons per jeff zilgit quote the simmons and Embiid rift had been escalating a person with knowledge of the situation told usa sports all of that is verbatim but it's missing the huge context of in the story where he says he quotes Embiid's quote from after game seven. And then it says Ben Simmons, like at that point was like, yo, what the hell? And then it kind of passively says the decision needs to be made that if Simmons was going to stay, Embiid didn't need, couldn't be there. And the Sixers obviously would choose Embiid. So really, if you're Joel Embiid, you have no standing to refute the story because it has nothing to do about you. It's not like you went to management and said this. The implication is that Simmons and his crew were the ones that lobbed that and said, hey, if if Ben's going to be back, Joel needs to be somewhere else. And if that's the case, then how does Joel Embiid have any right to refute the reporting? But that would only be applicable if he had read the story and not read the NBA Central quote, quote, and then chop out of context. He's a very busy man, Joel Embiid. Like, come on, he's not He's not going to read some U. He's not going to open the paper and read the great reporting of Jeff Zilgit. Shout outs to Zilgit. Um, the thing he's got to be upset about is the Simmons-Embiid rift had been escalating. That probably, that nugget right there is probably what uh, triggered him to go on this uh, this rant here this morning. It was a very quiet morning, Wednesday morning. We just hit September, come on. All right, so he says, sources... Quote, trust me, bro. Stop using my name to push people's agendas. I love and hate drama. I love playing with Ben. Stats don't lie. I'm going to get into that. Um, He's an amazing player and we all didn't get the job done. It's on me personally. I hope everyone is back because we know we're good enough to win. Next tweet. From my own experience, y'all have no idea how much this media makes up stuff for followers and shame on you for believing them. Next tweet. I haven't forgotten. But two years ago, I got booed. People in Philly wanted me to be traded. I even shushed them. The only real ones, shout out to Javi Baez. (laughs) Booing is really having a moment here. (laughs) Only the real ones didn't. But I just put the work in that offseason be better because I knew I wasn't playing up to my potential. Philly fans, y'all also got to be better. Wait a minute. Now he's blaming the Philly fans for this. It went from... Hey, I love Ben. We're, we're, I hope he's back. Everything's going to be fine. So now he's putting the target on the Sixers fans. And then he retweets an NBA Central tweet. So he had to go back and find this, right? It's not even adding him. I don't think this actual tweet is adding Joel Embiid. So he had to go find this from two years ago or a year and a half ago. 
Philadelphia Sports Radio rips Joel Embiid. Quote, get this bum out of the city. I don't care for him anymore. He's worthless. He's fat. I don't want him on my team. Joel Embiid retweets that and then says, for clarity. He's already doing a, a clarification on his tweets. For clarity, I love the criticism. I love when I'm told I can't do something. And here is the kicker. It makes me work harder to prove everyone wrong, but not everyone is built like that. Oh, <laughs> he's not talking about Ben. He's no issues with Ben Simmons, right? No, that's it. <laughs> the last line, your own. Like everything seemed, you know, pretty kind of weird, the, the, the whole rant. But then the last line it, where he says, but not everyone is built like that. Just dropping that little grenade. So one of the things that ran through, I have, there's an old story. I have a, you know, I've had some dealings or some history with um, Embiid and him saying, you know, reporting is lying, right? And I wrote this story at BR a few years ago about these Chick-fil-A sandwiches, which was really innocuous, but basically that like Landry Shamit, that Embiid would have rookies go get him or Sixers rookies, part of their um, hazing, if you want to call it that, was to go and get Chick-fil-A for the team flights. And I did a story and I heard about this and I'd heard that Embiid's order and Landry Shaman had said this on then rookie had said this on another podcast and that Embiid's order was something along the lines of four chicken sandwiches, four fries, four shakes and four sodas, something like that. Um, so I did a story, not, not great, right? And this is around when Embiid, you know, health and weight and all that. So I did a story where I followed, um, I went with Shaman, I met him at Chick-fil-A and I went through the drive-thru with him as he's getting the order <laughs> and I write it. And, and part of the story is seeing the separate order for Joel Embiid. It comes from a text message, a separate text message from the security guy who is Embiid's handler, who the Sixers employ, and it's a text message. And it's a separate order. And it's that four, four, and four, and it's a separate bag. And it comes in, write the story, okay. Um, and I put that in. It went a little viral, whatever. And then later on, I had heard, this was around when the book reporting was going on, and Embiid was really angry. And I was told by his PR people that that part wasn't true, that this, that this somehow this order stuff was not true, right? Which I don't know how you can say it's not true. I literally, I saw the text message. I saw this. I saw the order, right? And it was just a joke that he was just making, playing a joke on Landry Shamit. Again, I don't know what the joke is. Like, he picked up your order. I don't really get what the joke would be. Embiid even <laughs> went on Zach Lowe's podcast, and Zach asked him about the chicken sandwich or something like that. And Embiid said, no, it's just a joke. It wasn't real. It wasn't real. And I remember thinking, like, it was such a window because it's an, an innocuous thing in a way, though I always thought it was telling that, you know, a guy like that should not be eating that much. I'm not going to – not to fat shame anyone, but if you're a professional athlete, you probably should not be consuming 3,000 calories of Chick-fil-A. Um, but that he would fight back so strongly and claim so vehemently that, like, this is not true when it was obviously true. And since then, I've just kind of always had this in the back of my mind when thinking about what Joel Embiid says publicly, right? And even you see him kind of contradi contradicting himself here on the tweet. So I don't, there, and we can get into the rift, and the rift, I think, is both misconstrued both ways in terms of him and Simmons. But I just don't always take everything Joel says publicly um, as the 100% truth. It reminds me of Rick James in the Chappelle show where they're talking about him fucking up the couch like no what sounds what does that sound like i fuck up the couch no yeah i fucked up the couch like what exactly he's saying they called me fat and out of shape and da 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 and but the real ones didn't but i knew so i got in shape and uh i worked hard and and because i knew i didn't reach my potential i was like so they were right exactly what are we doing here yeah what are we how dare you point out this accurate statement to me how dare you you're not really for me 
yeah, I'm going to go back in the gym and, and get better. <laughs> exactly. What are we exactly. doing here? And Embiid just signed this monster extension just to go back to Biggie, Mo Money, Mo Problems. Like, things should be good for Joel Embiid. And then he hops on, the, on Twitter today on a quiet NBA Wednesday and just lights it up. Tom, this is what I'm going to say. The original aggregator tweet triggered him because it reads like Embiid went into management and said, him or me. And now you're on. You can you can clarify for us. I don't think Embiid has an issue playing with Ben, other than kind of like yeah, you kind of let me down there, et cetera, et cetera. But not to the point of telling management get get me the, get him the hell out of here. Um, and so I I feel like he read that like I never said that. And then that triggered like and all these other things that I've been harboring for for months about fans and the media and this and that and, and and what happens is he just spirals out of control but you know you said that hey it's been misconstrued in both ways so let's start there how has this thing been overblown and how has it been underblown anyone who says you know on twitter you'll see the people like you'll see a clip of them high-fiving after a dunk and people say oh i imagine saying these two don't like each other like that's just so simplistic and wrong right but anyone who says also like they hate each other and can't play together maybe let me let me restart let's say before the hawk series right because that i think changed things a little bit but before the hawk series right anyone who says these two don't like each other and can't get along that was also wrong like they were ish they weren't best friends um they're both introverts people know that about ben simmons i don't think people are sometimes surprised to hear that about joel Embiid, um that he's an introvert but i think it's almost like if you think of him as a sort of millennial is he officially millennial but that age where you're very um, outgoing and charismatic online, but in person, you're different, right? And that's Joel Embiid. He's sort of passive aggressive. They're not two people who are going to have these sort of powwows where they kind of come to talk about things and have it all out and stuff like that. Um, so they've, they've grown over the years. I always kind of compare it to if you have two college roommates that maybe you didn't love each other your beginning year, sophomore year, but you lived with each other for two, three years and you kind of grow a bond. Um, so some things, there've been times like they've sniped at each other in the media. Um, and sometimes it hasn't even been picked up about like, you know, after a loss, well, Ben will say we play too slow or the ball didn't move and Embiid will say, who said that? And you kind of shake his head and roll his eyes, things like that. Um, but then I remember like I was in the locker room before the Toronto, the Kawhi Leonard shot and it's quiet and Ben comes in and Joel's lacing him up and Ben looks over and says, you know, Joe, you ready? And Joe looks over and says, yeah, like they have a moment there. So they've been through a lot together. Um, I know early on in there, like I heard a story about early on year one, maybe somebody from one of the camps approached someone from the other camps and said, we have to get these two together. Things aren't going well. Like this was always a big concern. Um, even and Brett Brown, like I remember being around the practice once and they had a, uh, it was the game after the day before they were on ESPN. It was some alley-oop and uh, to, from Ben or Joel, some high-fiving and Brett Brown turns, well, you asked him about it or something. I don't remember exactly, but after the press session, Brett Brown turns to his PR guy and says, hey, that clip, did you anyone put that clip of them uh, high-fiving on social yet? We should tweet that out. Which again, like there was a hyper-awareness of this, right? In terms of the relationship. So that's why I'm saying it goes both ways. Yeah, that's in your book where you're like describing yeah. Brett Brown was pushing for the team PR to put out more yeah. clips of them being together. And like they he wanted to project this image of them being kumbaya. But then I, I do think Ben was hurt, um, which I would get. Uh, I would understand by how he was 
by Doc Rivers' comment and Joel Beat's comment after Game 7, which, again, very normal. It would be interesting to know if Doc hadn't said what he said and only Joel did his little passive-aggressive thing. Like, it might have landed differently, but I imagine it kind of sounded different when it was, like, first Doc saying, I don't know about this guy, and then Joel coming again and hitting him with, like, the left. Um, and then there were rumors after, so go to the riff part. Like, I'll tell you, there were rumors after, and I, I looked into some of them and made some calls about Joel's telling people he can't play with Ben, and Joel says, me or Ben, giving ultimatums. I was told that's not true. I don't know. I'm not like, you know, people collide to me. I don't know, right? That could be not, that could be false. But I, my understanding was that's not exactly the case. Joel Embiid from his Twitter account today <laughs> says he loves playing with Ben and then we're going to run it back and they're going to, they have enough to win, right? You're right. I love playing with him. But just so you know, some people, they're not built for the criticism. I love playing with Ben though. I hate the criticism, but I also love it. I love the drama. Hate it. <laughs> exactly. I love Philly, but I also, you guys got to be better. It's yeah. this weird dynamic, you know, and I, I think the part we can ignore is that on the court, it clearly has not worked to the extent that we probably think it should. And if they click on the court, I'm sure they could get, they could get through or overcome whatever differences or personality ticks or I'll say issues with a lowercase I that they might have. Here's what's interesting to me is I think Daryl Morey a few weeks ago tried to tweet out where he did tweet out. He posted a stat, just a, a screen grab on cleaning the glass which is showing that the five-man unit for the 76ers is the best performing unit in the NBA. A little bit of like leverage play, I think, probably to say, hey, look, we don't need to trade this guy. We have the best performing lineup in the NBA. That five-man lineup with Seth Curry and Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons, like that might have been posturing. That might have been just like, let's not forget what we have here. But when you peel back the curtain, and you realize that like that rating, that five-man rating, it's a little misleading. When you look at the fact that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, this, off, this, this postseason, had the best two-man lineup net rating in the postseason of any team, any combo of two men on the floor, plus 18.8, right? And I'm like sitting there like, yo, this team just got embarrassed down the stretch against the Hawks. And yet they had that two-man lineup was the best in the NBA for any two-man combo, plus 18.8. Then you look at by quarter. Here it is. Your own, I mean, ready? First quarter, their net rating with those two guys on the floor, plus 23. Second quarter, plus 33. Third quarter, plus 17. Fourth quarter, minus four. So that 18 is just basically the first three quarters, amazing. And then when push comes to shove in the fourth quarter, everyone gets tight, minus four. And it's basically sim um, symbolized by Ben Simmons, you know, dishing off that wide open layup slash dunk there in, the, in game seven. Is that like everything's good until the fourth quarter in the playoffs and then everything tightens up and they haven't been able to get over that hump. So Yes, it might be the best performing regular season lineup, and they must might have had a great net rating overall in the postseason, the two-man combo of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. You could point to that and say, look, everything on paper looks fine. It's gonna be, we're going to run it back like Joel Embiid uh, posted today. But the problem is, like Billy Bean said, my shit doesn't work in the playoffs. If you can have the best net rating in the, in the regular season – but when you're in a game seven in the second round, or if you're, you're not even in the conference finals, like, what are we talking about here? If it doesn't get you to the championship or even to the last four round, last final four teams, if, if that's the ceiling, I think Daryl Morey and everyone else has to look for something else. 
Yeah, we have, and how many years? The three years of uh, evidence of like in the steep drop offs, also in the second round, right? It kind of filtered through the numbers even more. And you look through the playoffs, first round numbers versus second round numbers. It's just at a certain point, it, it's clear there's an issue. Um, and furthermore, it's uh, and Ben's played a bigger role in this, you know, part. If you look at the team that that was most successful was the Jimmy Butler group, right? That was closest. Um, and Ben had a role in Jimmy Butler not being brought back. Uh, you can argue or different parties will argue what that role was, but that certainly played a part. Um, and the idea of him needing to be the point guard was important, having a ball in his hands, and things like that. And that certainly played a role into where they are now. So it's kind of all brought us to this point. I just you know, going back to the thing we started, I'm sure I mean, you have other thoughts, but like, I just, I don't, I'm, I don't know where this goes from here. That's kind of the weird thing. I don't know. We brought the game of chicken at the beginning. I'm not really sure how this breaks. Oh, it breaks. He's going to get traded. Right. He's going to get traded. But, but I don't think, I don't think Daryl is one thing I, I know about Daryl. I'm not saying that he always gets the most value in his deals, but he always gets what he's looking for. Like that's, that's one thing I know about Daryl is like, if he says, I'm going to get this, this, and this, we can argue about whether, is that really good? Or is, do you think that's guy really, really good? Or, or are these picks really worth And You can argue that. But in terms of these items, if he wants them, he's going to get them in the deal, and he's not going to feel compelled. And that was kind of my point was, I'm surprised that Ben Simmons would hold out because my, my philosophy has always been, in the NFL, you hold out. In the NBA, you show up. You show up and you make a mess of it. You can either be aggressive, aggressive like uh, Jimmy Butler and like starting to fight people and beat the thir- the first stringers with the third stringers and all that stuff. Or you could be passive aggressive like James Harden, show up and half-ass everything and your teammates <laughs> are like, what are we doing here? But either way, you show up and you make a mess. It's interesting. Because that's what compels your organization to move. My thing has always been like, look, here's the reality. The- Philly is uniquely equipped to say, oh, you're going to hold out? Cool, right? Because they're used to it. They're used to one or two of the, one or other of, the, of these guys being out, we got to make do. Last year, without Ben Simmons, 14 games, they were 7-7. Seven and seven. You might say, oh, I mean, 500 is not going to allow you to contend for a championship. Yeah, but thank God I checked with Adam Silver this morning. They're not playing a championship in October, November, December this year. So who gives a shit? I'll be 500 for three months. You'll be, I'll find you every single day. And and then we'll figure it out. And then I'll figure out whether I can get the the what I feel is a commensurate value for you. But to be compelled to make a deal quickly, it's not going to happen by him sitting out. Because sitting out is like, all right, we'll make do. We'll, we'll survive. We got enough good players on our team to be okay. One thing I would add is I know kind of to that point, I'm not so sure – I know everyone's assuming this was part of the Rich Paul playbook leaking this, right? I'm I'm not so sure that that's the case, right? I don't I don't know, and the source guessing is always um, iffy, so I don't you want to dive too much into it. But I don't know if that assumption is 100 correct, right? And I don't know how I don't I don't know how else to go deeper into that, and it's not me hiding anything, but just I'm not so sure. And if you think about it like that, it might be that. It, the Phil, Sixers, yeah, they're talking about making a mess. One way to make a mess is if you do what we're doing now, where every single person is talking about Ben Simmons trades and that creates a sense of urgency around it. And, oh, Ben Simmons is the news. If I'm the Raptors, I guess the Warriors are probably calling Daryl now. I better get on the phone now. And that can kind of accelerate a timeline as well. Reading your book, your own, you, there's a lot of moments where it's almost like this replays. Like this is history repeating itself with Ben and just the, the controversy yeah. of Ben versus Joel Embiid. But the whole like 
Ben Simmons, and this is central to this entire conversation, Ben Simmons not shooting the ball, or what would Ben Simmons look like in a different scenario? Um, you reported in your book, or at least cited this uh, question from Chris Broussard at ESPN, asking Ben Simmons in an interview before he gets to the NBA, said, uh, Chris goes, your jump shot, what did you, what did you say to those who say, quote, he's got to learn to shoot better? This is leading up to the draft. And Simmons says, there's nothing to say. I averaged 20. This is kind of like what he said about Trey Young recently, which is like, I don't need a jump shot. He also said to you, and you're having a one-on-one like moment with him about corner threes. What, what, what was that? What went down about the corner threes thing? This was right after people remembered Ben hit a three against the Cavaliers, I think. And after that game, Brett Brown was asked about it. And Brett Brown, who had tried everything, and you know, I'm not a Brett Brown apologist. I don't have issues with Brett Brown, but I'm not an apologist. But I will say he tried everything he possibly could not being aggressive, passive aggressive, quiet meetings, whatever, try to, try to get Ben to shoot threes. Calling out Rich Paul in a post game. Yes. And saying- then in the post game, he goes, tell his agent, tell his brother, I want a three every game, which you never hear that from a coach about a player. And that to me was like him just throwing up his arms saying, I don't even know what else to do. I, I just, you know, try that. Okay. So that, I found that interesting, you know, as a Sixers um, nerd and just, I have issues in terms of how I follow the Sixers. Um, so then there was a game against Brooklyn and actually Embiid was out. Um, and I went up to Ben beforehand to ask, I talked about shooting and we had this whole one-on-one. It was just me and him. And I was asking him, you know, he's giving some of the same answers. I don't need to shoot. I'm really good. Lots of people do everything that I do. Lots, lots of people don't do what I do. And we don't talk about other guys who can't dribble. And I kind of tried to go like, okay, so let's go very specific. Joel has the ball on the block. Why not space the ball the opposite corner? And he's like, I, there's no reason to, you know, we're more effective if I'm on the elbow. We don't need to shoot threes. And Joel can't make that pass. I'm not criticizing him. He has to make that pass. And it's better for the team if I'm here and don't shoot threes. <laughs> he ends up scoring 35 that game. And after the game, he comes up to me. After he does pressers, um, he walks out of the locker room before and turns to me and goes, imagine if I uh, took those corner threes. <laughs> so you do it with a smile. So I appreciate it. But it was pretty telling. In your estimation, is he delusional like straight up he believes that this is accurate or is he just insecure about it and this is the the bravado he puts up how about yes (laughs) that's a good question i think it's both right listen i like monty williams told who's an assistant with the sixers he told he's told people he thought it was uh insecurity right he's told other colleagues or friends whatever and he worked with ben a lot that um one year, two years, whatever it was, he was there as an assistant. Um, a lot of people think it's insecurity because he can shoot. I've seen clips. If you've gone to practice, you've seen him shoot. I've seen clips of him in corners, like not just like the um, Chris Johnson, you know, highly edited NBA trainer all season videos, right? But like I've seen clips of him shooting threes. Like it might not be beautiful. He can hit a corner three. He can shoot it. He just refused to do it. It's the strangest thing. So I, to answer your question, I mean, I, it's, I think it's some insecurity. I imagine it's some part like people keep telling you you can't do so. You need to do something. You need to do something. You're just gonna be like, "Fuck this! I don't need to. I'll show them." And it just becomes a self fulfilling cycle. And then you convince yourself that it's better for the team. I mean, I'm saying I've seen clips when I was writing that story, which you quoted the one on one for Fox Sports, and I was looking back, like I found the summer. I found the summer league highlights of him when he was in summer league. It looks like a completely different player. It's not even all different player. He's yep. pulling up at the elbow for jumpers. Yep. It's unbelievable. Like it's not, it's stuff that if you took now, we'd be tweeting about it all day. It's the strangest thing. So it's kind of just be, it's snowballed the whole thing. To that point, there was a regression that happened to him last year. How much of that is the cumulative effect of this stuff weighing on him? How much of it was 
Doc Rivers using him differently? How much of it was the personnel as far as the rest of the roster? You talking about from the free throw line, the, the uh, regression, or in general? In general. He wasn't as good as he was the year before. He averaged 16 points a game in the playoffs his first year in the playoffs in 18, 13 the next year, and 11 this past year. I don't like to like look at playoffs because obviously game planning and stuff, but even if you look at his regular season numbers, he went to the rim less. He attempted less shots in the restricted area and shot worse there than he had uh, the prior season. And I believe he shot a career low at the rim last season. It's a good question. I don't, I don't have a specific answer. I mean, he started taking more ready hooks than ever, which was weird. Or let those little ready hooks in the post. He tried doing that for some point. That became like his go-to move. Um, I th- I'm also guessing part of it was just scheme-related and be becoming the like the guy we always thought he could be kind of the go, the fulcrum of the offense, which he has been before, but not the same way. I mean, Bede was great last year, going back to the jokes you made about getting in shape, right? He got in shape because he realized he needed to. And suddenly he was great. Um, and the offense all ran through him in a way it never had before um, in different areas. So I think it was a mix. Um, and I think we've seen also like a confidence thing. I don't know. It's like, I, you hate to do the armchair psychology, but some athletes, you feel like, okay, but this I can. Maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like it's safe to do it here. Where just you've seen the confidence wane as we've gone progressively here. There is a level of I can't tell you when Drew Holiday goes through a little slump, what he's dealing with, what, whether it's just the vagaries of basketball, whether he's doing something at home or whatever. But like Ben Simmons, much like Markel Fultz, like these are guys where it is painfully obvious because they are real time making decisions. Yes. That like any confident basketball player would not make that decision, regardless of whether they'd be successful or not in making the shot. They wouldn't make that decision unless you were frightened or worried or stressed about that situation. And that's the, I guess that's the thing that, that to me, I'm like you, I don't like playing armchair psychologists, but like this one kind of, you know, it is what it is. We've seen players of his caliber go through the yips like this at the free throw line, and it kind of bleeds into other parts of his game. So whether it's Nick Anderson or Rondo had had this earlier in his career, or Russell Westbrook was really struggling at the free throw line and stopped attacking the basket as much. Um, I think that plays a part into it, Jerome. Like, I think a lot of this could be traced to the fact that he completely lost confidence at the free throw line. Um, That's a lonely place for a big man in general. And I think that cascaded into other parts of his game. I want to switch real quick to the elephant in the room here, uh, Rich Paul. Okay, so Rich Paul of Clutch Sports, people are making this out to be a Daryl Morey-Rich Paul standoff as much as it is a Ben Simmons and Daryl Morey standoff. And there is the New Orleans Noel report uh, that, that he is suing Rich Paul for uh, essentially doing a negligent job of being his agent and losing several millions of dollars worth in, of salaries lost. Zach Levine is now moving over to clutch this past week is the, is the news. How mu- I mean, how much do you think this is Ben Simmons wanting out and how much of this is Rich Paul saying like, this is not how your career should be going. I know the best situation for you is to get out of Philadelphia. Let's make a trade demand, a soft trade demand and get you out of here. I think ultimately if the player is happy somewhere or satisfied, like if it was just like, I'm not saying he's thrilled, but like, man, things can be better here. We're not that far off. He'd be there. I don't think Rich would convince him otherwise that this isn't the destination for him. Because remember, he's a max player. He's under contract. 
And the next contract he gets, barring injury, is going to be a max deal. Anywhere he goes in this league. So Rich really doesn't have, and he's playing in a major market. He's not playing in Oklahoma, playing in Philly on a team that's really good. So all of the profit maximization factors are there. I just don't think Rich would be like, nah, to hell with this place. You know, if Ben didn't feel that already. I feel like this is one of those things where the player has a wish and the agent says, all right, let me go to work. Rather than, hey, man, they don't respect you. We need to get out of here. I would agree mostly. Um, I, again, repeating, I don't think it can be underestimated um, how much those post-game comments, especially from Doc Rivers, played a role in all this, right? And what that would do to a player and how upset I think that probably made Ben. I mean, even there, the post-game press comes, kind of saw it happening in real time, like where Ben, he comes in, and he's sort of normal. And then you kind of sense a lot of questions are coming and you can kind of almost see like him realizing, oh shit, I'm being thrown, like I'm being thrown to the bus here. I got to put my fists up. Like they're coming at me and then turning to the PR staff and asking, wait, what did Trey Young shoot? How many assists did I have? And like, it was kind of an interesting dynamic where at first he was sort of striking the typical tone you expect from a star who didn't play well in a game seven. And then like kind of sensing, oh, this is going to be at my feet here. Um, and so I just think, I, I don't think Rich Paul, I mean, I don't know. I also think the other probably have to throw in is that they tried to trade Ben last, last year too. It's, we all, this is very like, we, we, we all sort of forget this or not forget this, but just there aren't many superstar players who their teams try to trade them and they come back with that team and are fine with it. Golden State, right? That was the report came out. The report was the Warriors said, no, that's too much. So I remember it happened the day before the draft. And I said to myself, oh, no, that's the point of no return. Because now they they didn't put it out and put you on blast for trying to trade them. Yep. And got, you can't walk and say, hey, so uh, you good? We're good for September 26th, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. You really can't walk that one back. So that combined with the comments Doc made, the comments that Embiid made. Also, there is an element of, I think if he had his own team, he'd be a better player, right? Like in a really weird way, I don't want to excuse him for obviously a a massive flaw that he has and he needs to get over. But part of me thinks if he, if he had a team that was built around, if he had, if he had the Bucks, right? If he was in Giannis's place. That's the classic example. Yeah. I'm not saying the Bucks would be as good, but I think he'd play better, and I think the Bucks would be a good team. Yeah, I agree. That's a classic example. Like, I, and I mean, the issue then is like they're probably not a championship team still, but he would be better. And with basketball, I mean, you guys know this, right? Some of this stuff, it because I'll use the same phrase I used before. There's a self fulfilling cycle to this stuff. So if the team's built around Ben earlier on, he's more confident. He's playing more aggressively. Maybe the free throw issues are different. Just everything about him, it's like a butterfly effect style thing, right? Where just things change and little moves here can change the course of a player's career and how you attack and how you play. Let me ask you this. All right, let's assume he's getting traded. Let's assume he's getting traded soon if you had to handicap which which were would be the destinations because i've described this as a really weird venn diagram of places ben wants to be places that have things that the sixers want and then the third like venn diagram on the bottom is places that actually want ben what what does that intersection look like well let me jump in here and say I think what Daryl Morey has to do is somehow get to Bradley Beal. I think he's got to somehow in back channels figure out a way to get Bradley Beal to make a trade demand because that one would be pretty simple, right? Is either a, a one-for-one swap of Ben Simmons and Bradley Beal or let's say you flip Brett Bradley Beal to Philly, um, Ben Simmons to Golden State. 
And then Golden State sends their like young asset package to Wizards who might be like, look, let's just let's just blow this thing up and start from scratch. Tommy Shepard moves on from the John Wall Bradley Beal era, and then they just they just go for a rebuild there. Like that's I think that's what Daryl Morey is holding out on is like, please, Bradley Beal, can you make a trade demand? And this this all works out great for me. But same thing with Damian Lillard. I think Daryl Morey is holding out for Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal, and he's just his hands are tied at this point. Are you going to go for a CJ McCollum package with Portland? Are you going to go for a, a buddy heel Tyrese Halliburton package from Sacramento? Are you going to go for a D'Angelo Russell deal in Minnesota? I don't think so. I don't think Daryl Morey is going to go there. Like, and keep in mind two of his deputy GMs, like the GMs who worked underneath Daryl Morey in Houston, Gerson Rosas is now in Minnesota and Monty McNair in Sacramento. They have a history working together um, I don't think it's surprising that both of those two GMs are on rebuilding teams that would have very much liked to have Ben Simmons and they have a relationship already to smooth those lines. Like right now, Sacramento, I don't think wants to give up to Aaron Fox. I don't know how that would go if Monty McNair, who just came onto the scene about a year ago, bet Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton, is that going to cut it for Daryl Morey? And I know we're lumping on the questions before we're giving your own a, a chance to answer, but one of the things that came out was that he wants to go to one of the three California teams. And I find it interesting that everyone assumed Lakers is one of those three teams. That's funny. <laughs> Do we know specifically he means Warriors, LA, LA, and not Warriors, LA, Sacramento? Was the phrase, that's actually funny. I hadn't thought about that. Was the phrase, the report, the three Cal, like how, what was the English yeah. of the phrase? Because I feel like there was a drop, some, somebody dropped the ball there. It needs to be like three of the four or the three or Sacramento just got, you know, <laughs> got thrown out. It's a pretty funny one. You think about that. Somebody said it to me yesterday. Lakers, what can they do? I'm like, Lakers? What, how did Lakers get in this? They're, 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 <laughs> what they're going to trade with Taylor Horton Tucker and like uh, uh, Dwight Howard's corpse? Like, what are we talking about here? And so I, you know, I looked it up and sure enough, this is the quote, and it comes from this is from NBC Sports, uh, from a Western Conference uh, conference executive to go oh, to Keith Pompey of uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer. Now the difference is Ben Simmons says he refuses to play for the Sixers. He wants to go to the three to three California teams. Keith, I got I like Keith, but Keith, you got to follow up there. You got to say, but there are four California teams. Come on, you got <laughs> you got to get that, uh, hammer that down. That's funny. The um. Yeah. So a couple of things there. So the, um, I always find the, you know, we always, we, the whole Daryl Maury's former lieutenants or deputies things, running teams and he'll negotiate with them. I'm not always sure that that's necessarily a positive. Obviously the phone lines are open. Um, one Maury has, I don't know about these guys, but I think he has a way of maybe not making friends with all the people he's worked with. Right. I think that's fair to say. Um, two is I do find that some of them, like, I think a lot of them are very eager to prove that they are more than just Daryl Morey's uh, former shadows. And, hey, we can stand up to him. And I can negotiate hard, too. Like, it's not just Morey's a good negotiator and brilliant and he's going to play the game. Like, I can do it, too. Um, so I always think that's an interesting part. In terms of it's, – it's – I don't know. Like, I brought this up. I know, like, the team – the obvious teams, you know, Minnesota. So if you give, let's say, D'Angelo, Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jaden McDaniels, and then you find a third team to send more players and pit, but, like – Daryl Morey has never traded a star for lots of stuff. He's always been the guy who wants to do the opposite. So I, I don't really see 
that being it, I, I don't, I don't know. It's Toronto, Golden State. You have to, we all know the same teams, um, Sacramento. It's just, I, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen here. I, a lot of people on the NBA feel the same way, at least as a summer league, they did. Right. Like people were asking me even like, what do you think? And nobody ever cares what I actually think. Right. But they're seeing if I had any insight. Um, it's just hard to read. Cause he wants, like you said, he wants Bradley Beal or Damian Lillard. And so far it doesn't look like either of that is going to happen. I don't know. So at this point, handicap this. Ben Simmons going to be at training camp in what, less than a month? Ooh, I'm saying no. How about that? I'm saying he won't be. Because he's traded or because he's sick? That's a good, <laughs> that's a good follow-up. <laughs> I feel, I don't know. I'm, I feel like a trade will happen there. I feel like things are going to pick up and a trade will happen before then. That's completely guessing. But I just, yeah, I feel like a trade will happen before then. I feel like there are probably enough teams where you can gain some track. Enough teams semi-interested or are going to be making calls where you can gain enough traction. Um, and if you realize that he's not going to play this year and that Damian Lillard is not going to ask for a trade and Neil O'Shea is not going to trade him, then other trade habits. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys think, truly. Also, I mean, the 30-day windows of rookies signing their deals, waiting 30 days before they can be traded, it comes up like here in a week. So if there's any, if there's a Kaminga or a Moody trade, but it can't be completed or agreed to until 30 days after they've been signed to their rookie deals, which is, I can think, earliest is like Saturday or something like that. Your own, thank you so much for joining us. As the world turns in, in the Sixers whirlwind of the 76ers, just never ends. And I'm sure there'll be lots here in the coming days. So thank you so much for joining us, Your own. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. It was fun.